Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Hunter Blaine. Hunter is a paranormal fantasy writer, is that correct to say? Uh, Urban fantasy. Urban fantasy, is that better? Yes. Hunter, go ahead and take it away. Tell us about yourself and more about your series. Yeah, Uh, well, Hunter Blaine, the author of the Preternatural Chronicles, uh, which are available on uh, audiobooks and Amazon, <clears throat> including Kindle Unlimited. The series is about a vampire uh, named John Cook, who's an anti-hero, and uh, decides one day that uh, uh, he didn't like the teachings of his master and, and wants to use his abilities for good, because he realizes that one day he'll probably die. It could be a solar flare, it could be a billion years from now, it could be a hundred years from now. And so he wants to use his abilities uh for good so that way he can see his family again whenever he dies that's because kind of the short of it so he in uh, uh deliverance which is book 0.5 he teams up with uh, father thomas phil seep who uh kind of reluctantly agrees to work with him because father thomas wants to help rid the world of evil and john has all these you know vampiric abilities and he thinks he can help him um uh, cleanse the world of evil basically so it's a win-win for both parties involved so if john could bleach his you know black and soul after uh, 500 years of sin, then uh, all the better. So it's um, reviewers call it Deadpool as a vampire, and that is very, very accurate. The humor in there, you know, it's uh, it could be childish at times, but there is character growth. There are some deep moments, uh, uh, some philosophy. Nothing political though, uh, never. Uh, yeah. So if you like the movie Deadpool or the comics or anything like that, then I think you would really dig uh, dig the series. So what was the genesis for this reformed vampire? Here's the story. The book is starring and dedicated to uh, uh, my best friend, uh, John Cook, who um, um, always liked my writing whenever we were growing up. He was childhood best friend and all that. And uh, he wanted he made me promise to write a story about him as a, as a vampire. Because we grew up reading Anne Rice and stuff, so we really liked vampires. Uh, this is before urban fantasy was really, really big with like, you know, Dresden Files and all that stuff. Uh, so I agreed and then didn't think anything of it. And then um, a couple of years later, in 2014, actually, uh, uh, I found out that he had passed away in a car accident. Um, oh, no. And so he's sorry. You know, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it sucks. But um, his birthday was actually uh, two days ago. And I was talking to one of my other best friends about how weird that is. You know, every year it just kind of hits you. But um, he made me promise and I kept my promise. And I wrote book one, which is called I'm Glad You're Dead, uh, just for me. And a fun story about that, too, is uh, the series, and especially book one, is filled with all of mine and John's favorite movie quotes. And the title itself, I'm Glad You're Dead, is actually a movie quote from the 1989 Batman, um, where the Joker is uh, talking to one of his defeated adversaries. But John and I always used to say that to each other all the time. You know, I'm glad you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it only made sense for the book one to be that. Plus, he's a vampire. So, you know, he died to become a vampire. Um, so it's, it works on multiple levels, but yeah, yeah. So that, that's the whole premise is, uh, I was, uh, I made a promise and he passed away. And then one day I was, uh, I used to own a supplement store, you know, vitamins and protein and stuff. And I was sitting in my store and I just popped open my laptop and I said, time to do it. And I just started writing, kind of planned out the whole series, if you will. But I, I wrote book one just for me. I never in a million years thought anyone would ever read it except for, uh, my uh, some of my best friends that also knew and loved John, and uh, when they found out I was writing a book about him, they were each like, "Hey, make uh, I want to be this, I want to be that." So uh, the, I like to say they're part of my urban fanny uh, urban fantasy eulogy. Like a uh, Depwag is a is a werewolf in there. Uh, Valenta is uh, well, you find out later what he is. Uh, but Valenta knew uh, Dustin Valenta knew immediately what he wanted to be. So I made that, and then you find out later. But the series is full of. Uh, of uh, uh, most of my friends that knew John. So it's funny whenever I read a review and someone is like, I, you know, your characters feel so real. I'm like, well, they are, <laughs> they're real people. <laughs> so yeah, that's the whole premise. Do you work in some of their mannerisms and stuff? Oh, okay. So for Dustin Valenta and Jonathan Defwig, uh, those two, especially, uh, I had to really, really tone them down because oh, really? uh, yeah, me and my friends are uh, just really, really wacky, uh, really, really wacky. We're, we're weird. We're very weird. Uh, so weird that if I wrote them out exactly as they are, uh, readers would be like, these characters are unbelievable. Like no one would act like that. So I had to tone them way, way, way down. <laughs> That's hilarious. I did notice, I think it was a book seven in mm-hmm. the, in the series, Wonder- these wonderful toys. Yeah. Like that, was that from Batman too? Cause yes, those wonderful toys. 
Yeah, where does he get these wonderful toys? So it's actually funny. The quote from Jack Nicholson after Batman saves Vicky Vale from the museum uh, is he says, does he get those wonderful toys? And everyone, everyone thinks that he says, uh, where does he get those wonderful toys? But the original trailer uh, for the 1989 Batman actually has the quote. But in everything, every iteration after the the DVD, VH, uh, VHS, Betamax downloads, uh, the movies, uh, it's all he says that the ADR guy, the uh, editing guy, cut it off. So he says, "Does he get those wonderful toys?" And uh, no, someone told me that, and I went back and watched the movie, and I was like, "Holy crap! I can't believe that." I always thought my brain filled in automatically. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Here recently, on at the end of January, I did a live event with fans where I rented out a movie theater. And, you know, we did Q&A, we did giveaways and uh, things like that. You know, signed a bunch of stuff, got to hang out with uh, really cool people. But we watched the 1989 Batman on the big screen, which has always been a, a dream of mine. And then before the movie started, I made sure to point out, you know, watch for it. And then, you know, everyone was like, holy crap, I can't, you know, that's a big mess up that the editing guy did. And no one notices yeah. until now. Well, I'm trying to think back because, yeah, I in my head, I think, where does he get those wonderful toys? So I'll have to go back and look. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you and what you um, what, what you like. Do you remember like the first like story that you read that got you kind of wanting to write fantasy and science fiction or movie that influenced you? Yeah, I grew up reading Goosebumps were my first. Um, so I read all those Goosebumps. That was really good. And then I got into uh, I jumped to uh, like Michael Crichton books. Cause I'd watch, you know, the movies fear and Jurassic park and all that. And then uh, I think it was middle school or something, you know, they, they had the reading challenges where you get certain points, you know, uh, some people were reading the books that gave you one or two points. And I was reading a Michael Crichton that, you know, basically one book a semester and I'm good, which is good. Cause I read really slow, really slow. So uh, after that, I, uh, you know, jumped to Stephen King, uh, it, one of the best books I've ever read. It's still probably my favorite. And then it was uh, Pierce Anthony, the incarnations of immortality. That series completely blew me away with, uh, even though it's young adult, well, I guess I was a young adult at the time, but still it's the series that he had planned and then the big twist in book six and uh, how it all changes the perspective. And I was like, holy crap, that is amazing. And then after that, uh, it was Dresden. So Dresden is what got me into urban fantasy. That's what, uh, you know, besides Anne Rice, which technically could be considered urban fantasy before, I guess, urban fantasy really had a title. But Dresden, for me, was the one that got me into urban fantasy for sure. You know, the hero trying his best to do the right thing and all these obstacles and all the books are interconnected, which I really appreciate. Um, Like some of my fans might gripe that I don't contain a story within one book. Uh, I like to say I make it realistic. So a problem in this book might be solved over in this book or maybe in this book. And it's not all one episodic uh, episode uh, or episodic uh, book, if you will, story. And uh, because I'm indie published, you know, I I do it myself with uh, Argento. You know, I'm not traditionally published. I don't have to please editors and marketing people and all this other stuff. I could do the stories how I like and how I feel would be more realistic. But um, yeah, Dresden for sure um, with the interconnecting stories and the butterfly effect is what really made me go, wow this is amazing then after that it was like iron druid chronicles and and uh, sandman slim and and then uh yeah it's i took a lot from each of those like i took sandman slim's anti-hero because john in the series is an anti-hero um you know he's not afraid to kill the bad guys versus dresden who is like you know don't make me do this kind that kind of thing you know uh, he wants to do it but he he chooses to be good if you will so uh, i took a little bit of each that i liked and then uh, other types of stories where there's some horror elements there's a lot of comedy elements and then uh, I made it my own. Being indie published, you have to be in control of everything. So what is a typical day like for you? As of June of last year, of 2020, I was actually signed to Argento Publishing. But uh, Argento is owned by Shane Silvers, who is a um, uh, top 25 Amazon author, which means, you know, he's, he's up there with, you know, Stephen King and uh, J.K. Rowling and all those heavy, heavy people. Because uh, there's two million authors on Amazon. So he owns it. And it's uh, the back end is ran by a really nice dude uh, named Lane, uh, who does all the stuff. But before that, the year before that, because I published my first book in March of 2019. After I did that, I, I watched countless YouTube videos. First, I watched countless YouTube videos learning how to write. You know, a lot of Brandon Sanderson, a lot of Jim Butcher, a lot of Stephen King uh, offering advice. And then even Neil Gaiman, he offered some really great advice. You can find it all on YouTube. I watched, I don't even know how many, probably at least 100 hours. And that's a realistic number. And then uh, after I published, 
I've then learned about the the boring stuff, the ads, the Facebook, the the minutia of things. The you know I joined all these different uh, uh, groups like the SPF, which uh, if you're an independent author, the SPF group is by Mark Dawson is is a must is a must uh, uh, join for any any genre. It doesn't matter if you publish your own books. Uh, they'll teach you how to do ads. They'll teach you uh, how to uh, do your blurbs and uh, copywriting and all that other stuff. But there's so much more to writing than people realize. There's so much more. Um, but I'm the type of person, if I'm going to figure out what temperature the pool is, I'm going to jump in the deep end with a cannonball. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I jump in and see what happens. And then I figure it out from there. So uh, there was a lot more to it than I thought. And my wife actually makes the joke that uh, I should write a book on uh, how to write a book. For sure. I think that a lot of people who beginning writing have this romanticized idea of sitting out by a lake in the woods somewhere and just writing and that's their life yeah honestly though so it's kind of funny that is uh, simultaneously the easiest and the hardest part of being a writer i say it's the hardest part because 99 percent of people out there uh, especially the ones that i talk to that want advice on how to be a writer i just tell well the first thing i do is write you know i'm trying to help uh, uh two or three people right now with their stories three actually three or four people uh, one of which is my sister with their stories but I will not give anything to anyone. You know, I'll help those who help themselves. So I give them the challenge of uh, uh, if you do this, if you can write a 10,000 word short story, I will help you from there. But you have to do that first part on your own. And that's where 99% of people get stuck is they just refuse to type. And uh, I'm having to be kind of mean to my sister in a polite way. This is from years of being a district and regional manager. Um, I don't accept excuses. So whenever people say they don't have time or they don't have Microsoft Word or, you know, they don't have a computer, you know, all these excuses, all I'm hearing is, is I don't want to do it. That's what I hear whenever someone gives me an excuse, because I hate to say this old uh, corporate slogan, but it's uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So if you come up with the excuse that I can't do this, I can't write, then you know what? You're absolutely right. You cannot write. But if you're like me, and uh, you're you're uh, blind to obstacles, and and you're you're like a bull with you know blinders on, and I'm just going to charge forward and see what happens, and nothing's going to stop me. Or as like my uh, one of my best friends, Colin Baker, says, "Great things have been done in history by people too stupid to know they couldn't be done." That's a great line. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> but um, you know the the hardest part about writing is writing, and then the easiest part about writing is writing. So once you get to the first milestone is if you, you can write at least like a 10,000 word short story and then figure out if it's going to be a novel at, you know, 50 to 60,000 words or 100,000, then the hard, the real hard part that you're not even aware of is how are you going to market it? How are you going to find an editor, which you got to find an editor, man, you got to find an editor, you got to hire someone to do the book cover. And I use Fiverr for that, or I did uh, before I got signed. Fiverr did fine for me. You got to advertise. You got to figure out how you're going to build up a reader list for your emails because that's honestly the most important thing for any writer. So yeah, the easiest part about being a writer is writing and the hardest part about you know becoming a writer is writing. So if you can get past that milestone, it's a whole new game. Yeah, you have to be in control of everything. Um, what is What are your habits like? What do you... Do you sit down and like write a certain amount of words a day or just scene or how do you go about that? There are days I wake up and I say to myself, as soon as I wake up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write. And then I sit down, you know, I do my morning routine and all that. And um, I sit down and I tell my wife too, like I'm writing today. So that usually means, you know, I'll see you tonight, you know, that kind of thing, maybe. And then I sit down and I just, it could be two, 3000 words. Uh, it could be 10 to 15,000 words. So it really just depends uh, on uh, on how how the story flows and how much research. So if it's easier story, like book one for me was easy, right? Because I didn't have anything to build off of and it was all just artistic liberties and all that stuff. But now by book, I'm working on book eight and it's getting into some really, really deep stuff like theoretical physics and so forth with uh, time travel, which is, it, it's still urban fantasy, but it, it makes sense what has to be done. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'll be writing something and I'm like, oh, crap. I don't know what this is, then I'll you know spend an hour researching to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate and, uh, and and whatnot. So the days I feel like writing, I sit down and do it, and then the days I don't, I don't. You know, um, uh, like right now, I've been listening to uh, uh, the audio files for uh, uh, book seven because I got those back from Luke Daniels, uh, Audible Hall of Fame narrator. Luke Daniels is is my guy. Very very fortunate nice. to get him. 
but uh, I'm listening to the files and I give my notes like, uh, oh, you said this person's name wrong or um, just little things like that. You know, he's a he's an amazing professional. So there's very little, if anything, that I ever have to report to him. But I always listen to the entire thing uh, straight. Like I put down my phone. I don't check Facebook or anything. I just sit, you know, on the couch or in my chair and I just uh, listen for any mistakes and for the story, any continuity things. And then I give my approval to it. So that's what I've been doing lately instead of writing is finishing the audiobook to uh, uh, get it ready for uh, mass production. Well, that's another thing that I think a lot of people don't think of is, you know, they think they might think of editing and the book cover and stuff like that, but the audiobook because you have to make sure everything's pronounced right and said in the way you want. Yeah, so what I do for Luke is uh, I have Microsoft Word and then... Uh, I will highlight a section and then create a comment and say, hey, this is how you pronounce that. Or by the way, this is what this actually means. So make sure to say it this particular way. You know, I, in a whole document, I might have him give him 10 notes because uh, he honestly, he nails it. He He's 95% exactly how I pictured in my head without me having to give him any direction. So we're actually very simpatico on that one, which I'm, I was very fortunate for to get him. But yeah, yeah. So giving them the notes and all that stuff. But audiobooks, audiobooks is, I guess, a luxury for, for our authors because it, it's there's a lot to it and it, it is very, very expensive. And then here recently, you know, there was the Audible gate where um, uh, Audible was pushing for people to do exchanges even after they've read a book. That was a big, big, big thing, by the way. That was huge uh, if, you, if you weren't aware of it. Uh, that's one of the things we talked about in the SPF group, you know, the, the Facebook group was uh, Audible just screwing over the authors and the narrators. Because sometimes, you know, narrators and authors will split at 50-50. So you're actually hurting both people if you do a return. You know, you listen to a full book, you get a return, you buy another book. And uh, uh, if you don't like the book, that's one thing, right? You know, if you're a couple chapters in, you're like, I can't can't do it. You know, if you return it, that's one thing. But Audible was pushing really hard for people to abuse the system. Like my wife, for example, was calling about an issue with the uh, her credits and she was talking to technical support not customer service technical support about an issue with the phone connecting and you know she bought these credits but they weren't showing up and then at the end of the call the technical support person the it person said uh, oh by the way i see that you've never returned a book are you aware that you can do that yeah you can return a book within 365 days of purchase even if you've already listened to it it's a really awesome and you know the it person was selling my wife on how to do returns. And, and that just blew my mind. And then what what else was worse is Audible uh, and ACX, which is the sister company, Audible, made it where authors couldn't see how exactly how many returns they have. They just gave you one file that said, here's your sales, but they don't tell you like, oh, by the way, you had this many returns. You know, they, they didn't tell you that. So there was a huge uh, uh, thing with the Authors Guild, which I'm a part of, and other groups got together. And, and now Audible's, you know, coming out saying, if it's a uh, seven days uh, or more, no matter what, if they do a return after seven days, then the, you get to keep the money because Audible was getting to keep the money no matter what, right? Because they would just buy another book. But um, but yeah, so for Audible and ACX, it, it is kind of a luxury item. There's a lot to it, you know, contracts and all that stuff. But there are some great uh, narrators on there, like you know Ray Porter, R.C. Bray. Uh, you can get in touch with all those guys, Luke Daniels, and uh, and work out to have your if you like me and you love audiobooks it it is the next logical step but for the time being it is more of a a, more of a luxury than it is a uh, primary source of income if you will because of the costs associated so would you say it's kind of like icing to the cake just a little extra revenue steve yeah uh well no i yeah more like the sprinkles on the cake because that cake cake better come with icing no matter what for me it's it's kind of like a non-negotiable uh, actually, whenever I was getting signed, it was between a couple different publishers who were reaching out all at the same time, which was very flattering. And uh, one of the major deciding factors, besides Shane Silver's, you know, um, being the the person who owns the publishing company I went with, you know, one company said, uh, "You're paying way too much for Luke Daniels. We would never pay that much for a narrator." I'm like, "He's an Audible Hall of Fame narrator who has, you know, uh, uh, his own following." And the books are doing well because it's his voice. You know, now it's taking off because, you know, my name is coming up there. But Luke has several years ahead of me. So he has his own base and all that. So that's actually one reason I went with uh, Shane Silvers is um, one of the tiebreakers, if you will, is he said, no, Luke was a, an amazing idea. You did really good with that one. I, you know, I can't believe you even got him because, you know, they had tried to reach out to him before. 
And uh, so that was like, okay, you guys get it, but let's go with that. So how has your approach changed now that you've signed with um, is Argento? Yeah, Argento. Uh, so it's really, really good. You know, they obviously get a cut of the sales, but my main focus now is I can I can just focus on writing. Because uh, before, you know, there's videos on my Facebook where, you know, I would start the video just kind of like, oh my God, I just spent eight hours going through Facebook because Facebook would mess up on something. And then, you know, I'd have to figure out the audiences and then why an ad wasn't doing well or was, you know, it, it was just hours and hours of boring crap that I hate. But it's also a necessary part of the game if you actually want to make this a, a, a career, not just a hobby. So Lane gets to deal with all that now and not me. So I can just focus on, you know, messaging or uh, responding to fans. You know, when they tag me on Facebook or message me or email, you know, much like yourself, you reached out on my email and, you know, I got back to you almost, you know, almost immediately, usually within a day. So I respond to everyone and I can do that. Uh, and then I can write all the time. So it's, it makes it uh, really nice to have someone else do all the boring crap that I hate, which is all the, the cold numbers and, and figuring out ads and all that other stuff that I honestly, I, I just wasn't that good at. From the authors that I've talked to, the marketing aspect is so hard because it changes so fast that it's hard to keep ahead of it. Yeah, it changes all the time. Uh, like two years ago, Amazon was the way to go. Now, apparently, Amazon doesn't give you crap. Uh, Facebook is changing their ads with a new Apple update. Uh, so they're and basically, yeah, it, it changes all the time. And, and you have to spend with every change, you have to spend all these hours and hours researching what it means and what you can do. And, and then honestly, no one knows what to do. So people just start firing off and trying different things. And then, you know, months and months later, someone's like, by the way, this worked for me. And then other people start doing it. That becomes the norm. The big tip, though, is to get an email list. That is the, uh, the best form. You have a dedicated audience. Um, and, and I have an email list. If you go to hunterblaine.com, you can actually join my subscriber list. Um, and what, what I give in return and what I recommend for other authors out there is, um, uh, for anyone who joins my subscriber list, I give them book 0.5 for free as an ebook. They can just download it and they can read it. And here's the thing. If they read it and it's only like 42 pages or something, uh, it's like 12,000 words. It's a, most people can read that within a few hours, but it's the perfect example of what my series is. It has the perfect humor and all that other stuff. So, um, if you read it and you're like, okay, I dig this series. I want to see what happens. And I, I, that humor, that's me. I get it. Then you're going to love the rest of the series. And then you can, you know, you're already in the know, but if you read it and you're like, ah, oh, nah, I didn't really, that's not my thing. I like more serious and dark and brooding stuff. So they, you know, just unsubscribe or whatever. So it's actually a win-win for everyone. And I, you know, I don't spam them. I maybe send out two emails a month and it's usually just, you know, letting them know, uh, by the way, I just got a whole bunch of merch up on my website, the bearded beanie, um, or, um, book seven is out now or yeah, all, all things like that. I try and make it informative and not, and not spam. But get the email list. Get the email list. <clears throat> that's that's actually great advice. What other advice would you give new writers? If you can't write at least a 10,000 word short story or novella, as it's called, I think after 6,000 words, it's technically a novella. Uh, I forgot the exact number. Maybe it's 3,000. But if you can't do at least that, if, uh, if, if you have excuses as to why you can't do something, then this might not be for you. And I say that, but it took a great loss and a promise that an unalienable promise that I uh, to put me where I am. So... You know, it's uh, kind of a, a double-edged thing on that one. But um, the best advice I can give you is if you can write a 10,000-word short story, if you can bang it out, if you can say, oh, I don't have time and, oh, I have to do this. And not, if you can say, you know what, I'm going to do it. If you could do that, you can be a writer. If you can do, if you can find the time, you can be a writer. I notice, you know, you have that Thanos Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, I got the Infinity Gauntlet. I have a bunch of stuff. Do you, what other sort of geeky hobbies do you have? Geeky hobbies? Well, I, I watch a ton of movies. And it drives my wife crazy, but I watch the same movies over and over, like uh, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame, of course, Batman, uh, Batman Returns. I watch those all the time. Predator, m most Arnold movies. Uh, I like sci-fi. I guess that's my, my really geek one, but I also, I'm a PC gamer. Like, I have three monitors. So I have my oh, yeah? nice 2K gaming monitor. I have my uh, curved monitor for writing, and then this monitor for uh, I like music and stuff, uh, iTunes and whatnot. But I play a lot of video games uh on my pc though like a uh, valheim recently it's been really really fun and cathartic you know you get to play it with your buddies and stuff and just kind of kind of chillax especially if you deal with something stressful you just make makes you relax so uh, that's really about it watching movies watching uh streaming uh stuff like we just finished wandavision not too long ago it's amazing and then uh 
once everything opens back up, you know, going to movies again, because it used to be every Saturday, I'd take my two puppies and my wife to the to the drive-in because they have a nice drive-in here in uh, Dallas Fort Worth. Oh, really? Um, and that was like our every Saturday thing, and it was I miss that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I love going to movies, and and I I do miss that. You know, just I don't know. It's like going to a sports game instead of watching on TV. There's a, just the atmosphere is just different. Same with concert or listening to it. Miss concerts. I had bought tickets to for Dustin Valente actually for his uh. Uh, like his wedding gift for him, his wife, and me to go to this uh, really awesome metal band. Got great seats and everything. And then, bam, like two weeks later, it was like everything shut down and we don't know when. So I was like, well, crap. So, yeah, I haven't been to a concert in forever. And I forgot, you know, it makes you appreciate things in life. That's for sure. During this pandemic, how has your sales been? Have they been okay? So for me, they've, uh, you know, skyrocketed. Um, but then again, you know, my series is all about fantasy. Uh, I was actually talking to Shane, and this is another reason that you know it was a it was a good idea to sign with these guys, is that they did a lot of their own research and they figured out that uh, thrillers and suspense novels, right now are tanking. You know, you have your traditional um, spy thrillers or whatever, and uh, they're going down because they're too real. You know, they people don't want stress anymore. So uh, fantasy has been doing very, very well. And paranormal romance is like the, the top one. Seriously, like those, if that's a, here's some straight advice for anyone. If, if you want to do this to make money, uh, write a romance novel. I'd be lying if I said I didn't consider doing a pseudonym and uh, putting one out there. I just, uh, I just, I, because, you know, my series is like Deadpool is a vampire. If any of my fans have found it. Uh, they would just roast me until the end of time, and it would be totally uh, called for. To it'd be, it would be hilarious. I've I've also toyed in that because I was like, my I could just go by K Lacey, just my you know my first initial, mm-hmm. and like they would think it was a female writer. Mm-hmm. Now I blew that away, so like no one anybody who sees this will be like, oh yeah, I know his tricks. <laughs> but yeah, right now paranormal. Well, actually, paranormal romance usually does uh, incredibly well, regardless, uh, or romance in general. And then all the subcategories underneath it. It's just paranormal romance is like urban fantasy with the uh the romance aspect put into it so you know versus mine mine is very much uh um what do they call it lights off um love scenes like there's only a handful and it's only touch and go and you know i don't focus on that at all it's more like just the character building and the and the and the uh, um relationship building and all that stuff so but there are people who you know that's where they they focus is on the uh, the the bedroom time, if you will, and that's called paranormal romance. But yeah, that's doing really well. So if, if another advice too, uh, at least right now, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, thriller and suspense, probably not the way to go. Fantasy, anything that brings people out of the real world and gives them a world to focus on that isn't full of uh, horrors, that's that's doing really well right now. Going back, you were talking about the Dresden Files in, in Jim Butcher's series. What about like that? Cause like I was thinking about Dresden's life, like his life is just, I would hate to go through it. <laughs> He's been put through the ringer. So one of my favorite uh, pieces of advice that Jim Butcher gave, actually there's two. The first one is uh, my, di- I, I will toot my own horn, horn about my dialogue. I think I do really well in my dialogue it, it because it's, if it, it feels realistic, but Jim Butcher actually gave the best advice, which is uh he was talking to someone and they said, how do you make your dialogue sound so good? And Jim Butcher said, well, most conversations are five words or less. And the guy was like, what? No, they're not. And Jim Butcher said, yeah, they are. And the other guy said, uh, well, uh, no, no, they're not. And he said, well, yes, yes, they are. And it was just like back and forth and just proving his point for him. So I, I took that. That's one of my favorite pieces of advice from him. But uh, the second one is uh, whenever you're writing a book, for him and for me and you're writing a book and uh your character is walking down the street whistling dixie and things are going too well jim butcher and me like to go uh what's the worst thing that can, that can happen to him right now and then he figures it out and then oh crap this is what happens and uh kind of throws the reader for a loop so yeah for dresden he's had a really hard time of it, especially with the the battleground book and and he, if you've read it you know what i'm talking about that also makes it more uh, enduring for us, right? It's uh, we, we we root for him. We want him to see. Uh, we want to see him succeed after everything he's been through. It's the same thing with my character. He's going through all these trials and tribulations and learning and uh, trying to become a better version of himself every day and uh, things like that. And it's just uh, it's like playing a video game. You know, uh, you you start off with nothing, and then you level up. And you get a little stronger here. A little you focus over here. You get a little better over here. Then your eventually your character is is able to just 
you know, do whatever he wants. And, and uh, that feels really good whenever you get to that point. So it's the same thing in movies and books. People like to see a character become stronger and better versions of themselves because they've been with them. And, uh, you know, it's the same reason we go to work. You know, we'd, we'd like to make more money and buy more, you know, nicer things, but we'd like a raise to show the appreciation. So it, it's just, we want to do better in life. And whenever we see others, you know, especially in a story format, get stronger and better. We, it makes us feel good too. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see the finale of Jim Butcher series because he's he says it's going to be about mid mid twenty five is uh, is what he has planned now. Do you know him like personally? I f- I freaking wish the only author. Well, actually, I take that back. I do know a lot of authors at this point. I will say this: authors are amazing. Oh yeah, no no one is greedy. Everyone wants the other one to do well. Um, you know, people reach out to me and I offer advice freely and they're surprised. I'm like, what, you know, what would I benefit from keeping this things I've learned to myself, you know, writers, uh, we want other writers to do good. And it's just a, such a fulfilling community of, uh, positivity. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. Some of the people that have reached out and I've worked together on some of them. Uh, I'll show you something that's, that's really cool. So remember how I said, I, I grew up reading uh, Pierce Anthony. Mm-hmm. Noah Sturdivant, um, hope I said his name right. He does books with uh, John P. Logston, reached out to me about doing a short story compilation, just a funny one, you know, funny short stories, like three to 600 words or less. You know, I had some ideas and I submitted them just because like, yeah, why not? It'll be fun. But it's, it's called Quick Draw. And then notice that first name. Nice. So whenever he said, like, th- this is after I agreed and I had already submitted the stories and stuff. And he told me that Pierce Anthony was in there and it took like, a month, a full month. Maybe it's because I ordered it and, uh, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, holy crap. Like I'm my, my stories in a book with, uh, with Pierce Anthony's stories. And I thought that is so weird. You know, it's like a director, uh, an aspiring director, um, teaming up to do, you know, uh, short films with Quentin Tarantino or, you know, something like that. You know, they whoever their favorite is. It, sh- it took me a while, but I was like, Oh, wow. I, I grew up reading this guy. And now I, my words are in a book with him. And that was just, that was just so cool, man. That was, that was like the coolest thing. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. I grew up reading the Zant series. Like that was my yeah, series growing yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, me and John, John, uh, John and I love the Zant series. Uh, right there's all the Zant series. Oh, nice. You won't be able to see them. They're too small, but. Spell for Chameleon and all those. Yeah. I love the first three. Like all of them are good. Like I enjoyed read them and my wife hasn't read them yet so i always tell her like at least read the first three like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. spell for chameleon source of magic and castle rugna castle rugna is my favorite what's funny is on uh i played world of warcraft for many many years i'm glad i got away from it but uh my warlock's name was rugna oh really and not a maybe there was one person ever yeah yeah there's one person ever that was like hey is that from the zed series i'm like oh my god be friends with me <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go back. You talked about um, when you were beginning writing, you know, working on your craft, you started watching um, YouTube videos, Jim Butcher, Brandon Sanderson. And Brandon Sanderson, you talked about um, authors being generous. He has put his class that he teaches mm-hmm. at university online. And one of the things about a story that breaks down is character, plot, and setting. Mm-hmm. Do you start with a character? It kind of, kind of sound like you, you did. Here's an interesting thing. Let's see if I have it on me. Here it is. So in the beginning, one of the days I'm going to sell this because uh, this was the uh, makeup of the series. Like this is all the character stuff and I'm intentionally trying not to get it. Show it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I, I planned uh, all the characters in this. I wrote chapter one entirely in the outline because um, Jim Butcher plans out the entire book. He calls it scene, sequel, scene, sequel. And he also says your character wants something. Does he get it? Yes or no. And then you plan the scene or sequel uh, based on yes or no and the things that happen. So uh, Jim Butcher is my favorite author. And so I thought to myself, then, okay, I'm going to try that. So I wrote out the entire book one in that book right there that I'll probably sell one day after the series is over because obviously there's major spoilers. And then the second I started writing, John went off and started doing his own thing. And I was like, you SOB. So he, he went off and started doing his own thing. And I thought, uh, actually, this is a lot more entertaining for me as the writer because I get to see what happens as I write. Like, I'm, what happens next? And, you know, I'm curious. So I take the Stephen King approach now, which is I know the middle of the book, the climax, and I know the ending of the book. Those are the only two things I know. I mean, besides the beginning, because it picks up where the last one ended. But uh, so those are the only two things that I know for sure. Mm-hmm. And then... I logically lead him along the path and I put myself, what would I do? 
Would I go seek this ally? Would I prepare this way? Would I, you know, do research? What would I do? And then I, I have John do that. And then it leads up to the climax. And then uh, uh, and that's how I write. And honestly, it feels more organic. It feels more realistic. And uh, uh, I, I personally love it. So you have guideposts that you're like, okay, these are kind of how I'm going to. And that's... Yep. Um, as I'm going through, I might meander along the way. But as long as I get to these two things, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, it's pretty easy for me, especially some days that it flows. Uh, it flows, you know, like I said, the most I ever writ, uh, wrote was uh, 15,000 words in a day, which is, uh, that's a ton. But I think there's like 14 hours of writing with maybe uh, 15 minute breaks here and there, you know, to eat or, or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, it just, that, that, that's how I personally do it. I've tried it both ways and I, and I recommend most people try it both ways mm-hmm. and see what works for you because everyone, everyone is different in that regard. Uh, I just like to do it. I suppose more organically than structured. Now that does make it hard, harder, not hard, but it makes it harder compared to uh, having everything laid out. If, uh, if there are certain bullet points I want to hit like book eight, for example, because I have so much built up uh, in the story of the series, I have it planned down to a T um, not so much, you know, from point A to point Z, but I know, okay, this has to happen. This has to happen. This has, to, you know, I have all these things that have to happen. So when, as I'm writing it, I have to be like, oh, right. I have to do that. And then, you know, so I have to find a way to pull them in and still make it organic. So that's a uh, book eight is going to take me some time. Cause I want to make sure I also get it right and still make it feel organic. But there's a lot of crazy stuff that I can't wait to share with everyone. Have you found like continuity, a challenge writing such a large series? Yes. Um, so I, I use Scrivener, uh, Scrivener. I got that about book five, I think it was. Maybe it's no, it's book six. Uh, Scrivener really helps me uh, with the corkboard aspect. You know, I could keep all these different notes. I built the saloon based on these pictures. So then I put the pictures in there. If I have to, uh, ever have to go back and uh, uh, describe the, the area again, I can be like, okay, uh, that's exactly what it looks like in my head. So I got it. So Scrivener really helps. But I also have an amazing editor. So a uh, fun fact, before I started, I released book one self-edited uh it was so bad and then people commented you know the more they read it you know people would comment and uh all that so i I found editors and editor after editor after editor failed me on on uh, fiverr granted you go to fiverr because you're paying someone cheaper than you would you know um uh elsewhere you know like a like a company you google on on uh uh online so I get fed up and I wrote Deliverance, which is like the fourth thing I wrote technically with the intent of uh, giving it away for free. Uh, I hired five editors on Fiverr, five at once. And I told them, you're now a part of the editor games. I'm going to pay you your fee, whatever it is for this book. And the winner of the, of the five editors of the editor games will get to do the rest of the series. Good luck. May the odds be in my favor. Most of the editors were generic. One of them was terrible. Um, she was technically proficient, but uh, John, because he's Deadpool, right? So it's it's that tongue-in-cheek humor. Uh, he calls his home the Fortress of Solitaire. It's ironic. It's funny. It's childish. It's stupid. Uh, it works. It works for the, for the story. Um, Superman's is the Fortress of Solitude, obviously, which is what it was based off of. She changed the Fortress of Solitaire to the Fortress of Solitude as if I had intentionally or, uh, or unintentionally uh, misspelled it. I'm like, you fail already. You're, you and I, we don't see eye to eye. And then the editor who won, uh, John talks about uh, uh, one of his favorite bands briefly in the novella. And it, it takes place in 1990. And my editor uh, came back and said, uh, by the way, that band wasn't formed until like 92 or 91. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I should have known that's one of my favorite bands. So I had to go back and change it. But at that moment, I thought we have a winner because uh, I guarantee you she's probably not a metalhead like I am. So for her to catch that, to do her research, for her to go 1990, let's see when this band was formed. You know, a very is called Dumu, uh, Dumu Borgir, which is a very, um, it's a Swedish metal band if you're in the middle they're they're big but most people are going to be like who's that so for her to be like wait a sec and to look that up i was man so she has saved me time and time again uh the biggest headache we had was in book six because there's different planes of existence there's like fairy there's a uh, uh, earth there's also heaven and hell because he's trying to stop the apocalypse right so he's prophesized that john is going to be at the center of the apocalypse so he's trying his best to avoid it and there's different planes of existence so he has to travel between them and then i had to come up with all these rules 
And then she came up with and said, if he was able to do this, why didn't he do this in this previous book? And I, ah, so it took like a full week of back and forth coming with different ideas before we, we nailed down something that felt good. It was continuity. Uh, the continuity was correct. Uh, it made logical sense of why he didn't use these features before the editor is awesome. But yeah, the continuity thing is a big thing because uh, here's an example in book one, uh, he touches some, some iron chains and uh, they, they burn his skin. And then later on in like book three or something, maybe it's two or three, he, you know, he touches iron or something. And I thought to myself, why the heck didn't it burn him then? And then I went back just that one little sentence where I thought, oh, you know, it burns his skin because iron and silver is supposed to, supposed to be mag mag magic canceling. So uh, that was that was interesting. That one little thing, I thought nothing of it at the time as I was writing book one. I didn't even give it a second thought. But later on, it came back and said, well, you said this. So now there's a reason why. And then I had to come up with a reason why that it was actually blessed. And um, so continuity is a thing. But uh, I don't worry about it at the time. I, I let future Hunter worry about it and let him solve it. That guy's smart. He's fine. Do you have fans call you out and be like, oh, you, you need to do this? Most of the time, I'm pretty spot on. Like I won't write something I'm not sure of, or uh, I had a horse and bridle thing where um, I won't give away the details, but I actually reached out to my fans in my private Facebook group called the Hunter Blaine's Abattoir of Johnny X, almost 700 members at this point, which is pretty cool. But I said, hey, does anyone know anything about horses? Because I was doing some Googling and looking up uh, uh, diagrams and all that stuff, and I wasn't understanding why certain the, the lead was attached and how it was connected. And so I told them like, this is the premise. I, I want to make sure I'm accurate. And then, you know, they offered advice and then it actually worked out really well. But uh, the most recent one, actually, I, I don't get called out very often at all, but this guy did nail it, but I already had something in mind for it. So it was kind of a wash. But in uh, book 3.5, it says that uh, the bad guys are using AK-47s, but they're using 308s uh, caliber. But AK's, uh, AK-47 is supposed to be 7.62 uh, they're almost interchangeable, like uh, five, five, six, and uh, two, two, three. But they're almost, almost. They're like they're seriously like this much difference, so it doesn't work. So then I actually told him like, well, I actually read an article about Kalashnikov coming out with 308 variants. He says, yeah, that doesn't happen until you know they're talking about. It. They're talking about releasing actually later this year. I said, well, if you remember, you know, some of the series takes place a little bit in the future. He's like, oh, okay. And I said, yeah. That, yeah, it's canon. I did that on purpose. <laughs> so that one little mistake that I should have known better too, uh, that one, uh, that's like the only time I've actually really been called out. Oh, I take that back. Someone did say that I uh, in book one, I said a Viking longsword. And then he was like, uh, Vikings didn't use long, sword, long swords. Do your research. And I was like, well, you know, once again, I, I, I go back to, I never thought anyone else would ever read book one. And I didn't want to change it because uh, that's a big thing with art is you have to know when to put down the brush when you've done the last stroke, if you you know do too much, then you're you're not helping it at all. You're actually prolonging because done is better than perfect. So I w if I could go back now and change book one, I would change a bunch of stuff because now I've learned the hard way a lot of the lessons. One of them would be the Viking uh, longsword or broadsword, whatever it was. I was thinking of like playing Diablo two or Diablo three or you know one of those games uh, where they had those types of weapons. So uh, those are the only really two times I've been called out. But yeah, continuity is a big thing, and then. Uh, uh, making sure that everything you say is accurate, which is also why book eight is taking me some time because there are a lot of theoretical physics uh, involved to the point where now my series should be called urban sci-fi. So when you started out, um, obviously you said that the first book was just meant for you. It wasn't meant to be, but did you have an outline, a plan for eight books? How long is it going to be? 10, 15, 13, 13, 13 books, not including novels and novellas, uh, not including like the 0.5s. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's 0 0.5 and 3.5. So there's 13 books planned. I knew whenever I was writing book one, what the big twist was going to be. I didn't know how many books it was. I just kind of threw out 13 because that was John's favorite number because, uh -huh. you, know, you know, it's, oh, it's 13, you know? So um, it, that feels like a good number. And uh, I knew what the ending was going to be. I didn't know too much in between. I just knew what the super big twist was going to be that no one's going to see coming. Now, as the series has progressed, I figured out the character arcs for uh, for these different guys. Uh, actually, Shane Silver has helped me out with one of them, with Depwig's uh, character arc. And uh, that one's going to be, it, it fits perfectly. Like if it was a puzzle piece that I have my series, you know, the big twist planned and what's how it's going to end. And then that puzzle piece just fit right in there as if I had planned it from the beginning. And I thought, 
yes, this is this is perfect. So that was actually really cool. So yeah, I have uh, the whole series planned for the big twist. But once again, just like with writing a book, I know the middle and the end. Mm-hmm. Everything else is organic. So what challenges will John face because of uh, the ending of book seven? He has to had he has different challenges for book eight than if I had planned it out. Because as I you know learned from book one, John's going to do his own thing. So if I do try and plan it out uh, to a T, it's not going to work out for me. <laughs> Are you going to stick with thirteen? Like if you feel like oh man, I need two more books or I have a I have other things planned, you know, spinoffs and all that stuff. And and these spinoffs aren't going to be like. You know, you think of other series of spinoff that, you know, at least whenever I do, I, I, I do this. I'm like, oh, God. So I think these are actually going to be fan favorite spinoffs. They're going to be really good. But no, the series is going to end at 13 because every good story has to end. Right. And uh, uh, it's going to be perfect. By the end of book 12, people are going to burn my image. Uh, they're going to burn me in effigy. Basically, they're going to be so pissed off and I can't wait. And then at the end of book 13, it's going to end so perfect and not a single person will see it coming. There's only, I can count on one hand, the entire people in the world that know how my books are going to end, including Shane Silver's. You know, I told him like, Hey man, just in case I die, uh, you need to finish. You have to finish this. This is how it ends. And he's like, Oh man, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, that's high praise from Shane Silver's book 13 is going to end the way I want it to end. It's going to be perfect. Cause you know, I've read series. I'm not going to name names where the hero, the ending of it, he he loses the girl, he loses his powers, he gets kicked uh, over and over again, and that's the end. And you're like, well, that sucked. You know, I don't feel I don't feel good right now. So uh, I write books for me, and everyone else is invited to come along. I will never write a book for anyone else but me. And the ending is going to end the way I want it to end, and it's going to be, in my opinion, perfect. Others might not agree, but once again, I write the books for me. Everyone else is just welcome to join. You said you have side characters that you want to explore. Do you have like other stories that you want to tell that's totally different? Yeah. So the Preternatural Chronicles universe is pretty vast at this point. I've set up, um, you know, history and, and things with fairy, uh, for example. There's the High Council of Wizards. And then there's sorcerers. There's warlocks. You know, uh, I haven't introduced the premise of witches yet. Uh, I don't know if I will because, you know, it's been done a million times and I already have the other one. So I may or may not. I've given myself plenty, plenty of avenues with which to explore uh, after this series. So I can go in any number of directions. And uh, once again, I'm going to write the ones that I want to write. Uh, I do really want to do a sci-fi series, uh, you know, something like a space opera or something. And it could still technically be tied into the into my universe. I'm, I'm intentionally setting it up to be not ambiguous, but... Uh, to give me plenty of doorways. You released um, the first book in 2019. Is that correct? Yep. March of 2019. And you have seven books out in two years. I, that's awesome. Like that's ridiculous. I think it's nine. Well, well you got the I two mean, novellas. And yeah, then... yeah, yeah. But 0.5, it took me a week to write. It was just a, I knew I was going to give it away for free and I wanted to be like the good sampler of uh, what the series is going to be. And then 3.5 is actually a horror novel slash thriller set within the preternatural chronicles universe uh-huh. but it doesn't star john it actually doesn't star any of the main characters except for one uh but it's a great it needs to be read um to fully encompass uh, what happens in book four and then at the ending of of another book that i won't uh won't say uh yeah i i usually read the book every three to four months that's what i was going to ask are you going to be able to continue this pace i would say no but only for the reason that uh, i'm getting to the end game of uh, the series and i already anticipate that books uh uh, 12 and 13 are going to be massive uh so those might take me and because it's the end of the series i've already planned to sit down and and uh, listen to all the audiobooks from start to finish to make sure that all the um, uh, story arcs are are closed any loops are closed um that everything is satisfied and i've also dropped a little breadcrumbs here and there i want to make sure I, i didn't forget any because like i said i didn't have scrivener um, until about book six. So there's, you know, I might've dropped some breadcrumbs intentionally that I thought I won't forget that. Then of course you have something important and you're like, I'm going to put it here so I won't forget it. And then if your brain immediately goes, what? I imagine book eight is going to take me a little bit longer because I already anticipate it. Most of my books at this point are about a hundred thousand words. Uh, book one and two are about, uh, over a little over 80. Book three is like 137. And then from book four and on, it's around 100, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. 
Um, so for the audiobooks, they're around 10 hours each. After that point, some are 12, some are nine, you know, 9.4, uh, but usually around the 10 mark. Uh, so yeah, three to four months is my average, but for book eight, because of how massive uh, all these storylines are and all the uh, different uh, theoretical physics stuff I was talking about, like it's going to involve time travel in this one, which is I'm, I'm creating a different way that has not been done before, which is that's really hard to do, by the way. There's been so many movies, you know, that's actually I, I took off the Mobius strip and actually I'm using a Klein bottle instead. But that, that'll be a long conversation and boring for some people. Uh, but uh, yeah, book eight, I'm going to take a little bit more time with and make sure that I, uh, I do get all these different story arcs in there and that it's also uh, more organic. Because starting on book seven, I asked my fans, do you want to see a book with different chapters dedicated to different people? Because I have all these different characters at this point. And of course, most of the chapters, I'd say at least half, are going to be John because he's the main character. We, we love John. Um, but then, you know, there's also other things going on in the background at this point as we're getting closer to the end game. All these other characters, you know, this character is involved with the wizard, uh, the, the high council. So he's doing stuff behind the scene. This character is involved with fairy. So he's doing stuff over here uh, and so forth. And then John is, you know, doing all this stuff himself and, you know, they, they cross paths and, and whatnot. So book seven, which is my highest rated to date and fans apparently really liked it. Like 90 something percent wanted that change. And they said that uh, it was handled really well uh, with the split chapters. So from book eight too, it's going to involve uh, uh, different chapters of uh, focusing on the different characters, but still, you know, at least half the chapters being dedicated to just John. Hunter, I appreciate you getting on with me. Tell us how we can get a hold of you and and reach you and where you're located at. Yeah, so I, I just rebuilt my website from scratch. Um, it's hunterblain.com, B-L-A-I-N. And um, on it, you know, there's a merchandise, like uh, the, the nice Triblin t-shirts with the, uh, the beard of beanie logo has become the, the logo of the series because that's John's face. He always has his gray beanie and he has the big beard. So the beard of beanie logo has become synonymous with uh, my series. And I love it. I love logos. So there's that. There's also sign books. Um, you can also sign up for the newsletter and then get, deliverance for free as an ebook and you can download a, a you get to choose what type of ebook you want you know you can do pdf you can do epub you can do moby whatever it is it, it could go to your kindle too so that's good uh so hunterblame.com sign up for the newsletter um i personally love the audiobooks because it takes me forever to read like i'm a super slow reader so just to hear you know luke daniel's voice uh, performing my series he he gives it that extra oomph so, but if you go to Amazon, you know, you type in Hunter Blaine that all my books are there and then it goes straight to Audible because that, that's the same company. So, uh, and then uh, Facebook, I have Hunter Blaine author. And then I also have a private group, uh, uh, the Hunter Blaine's Abattoir of, of Johnny Axe, which is uh, you, you have to answer some questions to get in to prove you're real and, and whatnot. And also to understand that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a fun group of people that post some, some interesting things from time. You know, it's nothing bad, bad, but there's some, it's some dark humor stuff, that's for sure. And we give each other a hard time. But uh, yeah, there's uh, all different kinds of ways you can reach out to me. Well, I appreciate you getting on with me today. Heck yeah, man. Now, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been fun. I, I always enjoy uh, uh, doing these. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.